Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And as you're opening there, I'm going to invite Brooklyn on up this morning. And she's going to be reading our passage today. We've been going through a series on the book of Luke. And there's a big shift that happens here in Luke 9. Once you're in Luke 9, go ahead and stand. And uh, we're going to stand as we hear God's word being read together. Go ahead, Brooklyn. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff nor bag, nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles took him all that, told him all that they had done. And he took them at and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Awesome. Thanks, Brooklyn. You guys can have a seat. Remember what God laid on my heart during my sabbatical? Do you see how cool it is that I get to preach on this passage this morning? Without getting any deeper, the main message of this passage is right in front of us. And so that's why I made the title for this sermon really simple. Go. Jesus calls the twelve together and sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Go. Jesus has put the same call on your life. So if you get nothing else from this morning, go. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Bring his good news to others. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in deeper. God, there are so many that need to hear from you. There are so many lost that if they died today, they would spend eternity apart from you. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? God, that's what you've asked us to do. That's what you've called us to do. So God, as we dive into this passage this morning, lay on our hearts people that need to hear the good news. And give us the courage and boldness to go, even this week, and share with them. God, we give this morning to you and just come before you desiring to hear from you. Desiring to grow uh, in our love and passion for you and desiring to, to be different as we leave this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the big shift that Luke makes I mentioned there's a big shift that happens here in chapter 9. And the big shift that Luke makes is that the disciples move from observers to contributors. 
So far, the disciples have been with Jesus, just kind of palling around. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 11, this is Luke's first mention of disciples, and they follow Jesus. In 5.28, Levi follows Jesus. In chapter 6, verse 1, the disciples are walking with Jesus. In chapter 6, uh, verses 13 to 16, that's when Jesus chooses the 12. In 8.1, it says, and the 12 were with him. 8.9, disciples asked him about a parable. Uh, 8.22, he's in a boat with his disciples. Uh, in 8.26, it says, they sailed to the country. And in 8.51, Peter, John, and James came with Jesus. So up until this point, they've been watching. They've just been observing what Jesus did. But now they're called to do something. Without looking too far ahead, here's just a couple examples. In chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. And in 9, verse 20, uh, he says, who do you say that I am? He's asking for a response. He's asking them to engage in a different way. And in our passage, we see this as well. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. This is a big deal. Jesus is letting them see that they are an important part of his plan. He gives them clear directives. He tells them to heal, casting out demons, curing diseases. He tells them to proclaim the kingdom of God. In doing this, he's telling them to meet both physical and spiritual needs, which is what Jesus has been doing and what he models for them again after they return. Look at verses 10 and 11. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. See, the exact thing that he told the disciples to do, he was doing as well. He modeled it as well as telling them to do it. Now, most of your Bibles might group these last two verses with the feeding of the 5,000, but they really tie up today's passage well. They finish the disciples' trip, and they show that Jesus continued this work. Jesus continued to model for them what he asked them to do. And this idea of meeting both physical and spiritual needs parallels Jesus' own ministry. He's been meeting both physical and spiritual needs throughout the entirety of his ministry, and now he's inviting the disciples to be a part of it. So the disciples moved from observers to contributors, which was the big shift in chapter 9. Now there's another theme that Luke focuses on in chapter 9, and that's Christology. And Christology is simply understanding Jesus' person and work, who he was and what he came to do. Let me just point out a few spots in chapter 9 where we see this topic of Christology. First of all, in our passage in verse 9, Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Herod's trying to find out who Jesus is, what he's here to do. In verses 18 to 20, Jesus asks his disciples what others think about him and what his disciples think. 
Jesus also foretells his death in this passage twice, pointing to what he came to do. And in verses 28 to 36, Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James, and John, revealing more of who he is to them. Now, why is this significant? Yes, Jesus has not been shy about his person and work before this chapter, and yes, it comes up again later in the book of Luke. But Luke is being intentional, focusing on this topic while he's telling about the transition that the disciples are making. See, Christology and discipleship are deeply interconnected. The commentator Joel Green said it well in pointing to this. Let me show you what he says, and then we'll unpack it. He says, as will become immediately transparent, the two grand motifs of this unit, Christology and discipleship, are closely intertwined. This is because, as Luke presents them, these two are mutually interpretive. That is, one cannot embody authentic discipleship unless one perceives faithfully the nature of Jesus' person and work. Yet, one cannot adequately adequately comprehend Jesus' person and work apart from genuine discipleship. Now, he's pointing out why Luke is bringing up these two topics together. You can't have one without the other. Christology and discipleship. You cannot be an effective disciple without understanding Jesus' person and work. Otherwise, what's motivating your actions? Sure, there may be some good things that people do, but they're not going to be effective witnesses for Jesus unless they truly understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. On the other side, you cannot truly understand Jesus' person and work and not be an effective disciple. If you truly understand what he did for you, your response should be serving him with your whole heart. So if you're not serving him, Why not? He died on the cross for you. He took the punishment you deserve. He saved you. Your response should be serving him. Throughout the book of Luke, and as Dave mentioned earlier, hearing and doing are connected together. Chapter 6, verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Verse 47 of the same chapter, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Those two are connected. Chapter 8, verse 18, take care then how you hear, hearing and doing. And in verse 21, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And we see Jesus' example of this in his ministry. In his ministry, he's healing, he's casting out demons and teaching. In 6.18, he says, uh, those who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, they knew they came to both hear what he had to say and to be healed. See, Luke is making it clear that if you truly understand Jesus' person and work, you will want to do something about it. I was listening to Keith's screen. Keith Green's song, Asleep in the Light This Morning on the Way to Church. In the song, he says, How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, and you, you can't even get out of bed. 
Boy, that hits me. Now, there is room for growth in this. Luke shows the progression of the disciples' understanding of Jesus' person and work and how it's connected with how they serve. In chapter 9, they argue over which of them is the greatest. They don't know how to deal with someone else doing Jesus' work. They aren't always successful in their ministry. But they grow a lot in this throughout the rest of the book of Luke and especially in the book of Acts. Luke is showing the interconnectedness of these two concepts by showing how the disciples grow and learn. And that should instruct us as well. We're not going to be perfect in this. We need to grow in our understanding of Christ and his work. That will push us to become more effective disciples. We also need to grow in how we serve, letting our understanding of Christ and his work motivate us to do more. Let me get practical with you here. When Laura was pregnant with Micah, I saw this sign. And it made me laugh. (laughs) I read that and I thought, someday. Someday. Now, as Micah grew, uh, he would watch me mow the lawn, and he wanted to help. So I put a broom in his hand, um, but he wasn't really yet ready to mow the lawn. You know, he couldn't really reach the handles yet, you know. um, But as he grew, I knew the time was coming for this to come to fruition. And at the age of seven and a half, it happened. And now, it's his weekly task. I asked the kids the other day why I have Micah mow the lawn. Gabriel said, because you don't want to do it? (laughs) Now, the goal was not just to get out of mowing the lawn myself. Rather, we've tried to explain why we're asking our kids to help, to contribute. They're here to contribute to the family because they're a part of the family. Their contribution is important and it's needed. Yeah, Micah, you roll your eyes when I ask, often, right? When I remind you, hey, it's time to mow the lawn. But when he's reminded of how his contribution helps the family, it makes him a little bit more excited to get out there and do his part. Now, it's one thing for him to hear or to know that he's a part of our family, But it's another thing for him to do something about it, to show that he's a part of the family by contributing. Kids, when you're asked to do a chore at home, you are contributing to the family. The things you're doing are important. I hope you see that when you know why you're contributing, it's easier to jump in and contribute in ways you may not want to otherwise. You're contributing to help the family. So kids, write down one way you help your family or one way you would like to help your family and be sure to share it with your family later today. Christian, you are contributing to further the cause of Christ, to share Jesus with others. Sometimes that means being asked to do something you might not be excited about in and of itself. But when you know why, that should change your attitude towards the task. 
When you're asked to jump in and help a loving client, or when you're asked to serve in family ministry, remind yourself why you're serving could change your approach dramatically. Now, I realize that you could easily take that to mean that serving in Love, Inc. or in family ministry is like mowing the lawn, not something most people want to do, which could be true if your motive behind it is self-serving. But when the motive is to serve your Savior and Lord, these chores become blessings. Let me add a couple final thoughts on doing your part. First, you can start now. Now, yes, this message is for everyone, but kids, this is especially for you. You have something to contribute. We need your contribution to the family. Yes, the disciples started by watching, and maybe that's your first step, watching and learning from someone else. But we want you to get moving and serving too. Look for an area or two that you'd like to serve, and then talk with your parents about how to get involved. Second, it is a privilege to contribute. It's a privilege to contribute. I try to remind my youth team of this often. It changes how we serve when we remember that Jesus wants to use us to spread his message. He wants to use us. Now, I mentioned Love, Inc. and Family Ministry, and we're going to come back to those serving opportunities But I wanted to look again in our passage and see the ultimate motive of the disciples. Why they go. First, there's a few things in this passage worth noticing. Jesus' guidelines to the disciples are specific to this assignment. Look at verse 3. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Now, in Luke 22, Jesus tells them the exact opposite, to take, a money, uh, to take money and to take a bag. So we aren't to look at Jesus' directions and take them as how we're supposed to do ministry in every situation. But there are some principles worth taking note of. First of all, uh, their instruction required them to trust God to provide for their needs. Again, in verse 3, he says, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. So as they went, they needed to rely on other people around them to meet those needs. And in reality, they're relying on Jesus to step in and to fulfill those needs through others. They had to trust God to provide, which kept their focus on who they're serving. And as we serve, we need to trust God to provide in ways we can't imagine. Another thing to take note of is that this assignment had a specific objective and was for a specific amount of time. Look again in our passage. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Specific objective. And then look at the beginning of verse 10. On their return, the apostles told, them, told him all that they had done. So the disciples knew that they were supposed to come back after a certain amount of time. We don't know how much that time was, but they all knew that this was for a season. They went out and they served for a season. 
Some of you hesitate to, to jump in and serve, to, to engage with others because you're like, oh man, I'm just going to be stuck doing this forever. But that's not what we see here in Scripture, and that's not necessarily how serving works. And also, as I mentioned before, they were told to meet both physical and spiritual needs. Look at verse 6. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Physical and spiritual needs. And there's a question um, on the back that, that engages with that. And so I'd encourage you to dive into that question with your family, with your community group. Finally, this call is not just for them. Sure, in this passage, the instruction is just for the twelve. But Jesus' call expands to more. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72. In Acts 2, all believers receive the Holy Spirit and start sharing the gospel with others. So this call to go out and to share with others, it's for us too. We are not to leave the job of spreading his message to just a few people. Rather, each of us is called to share with others. So now, what's our motive? What's the disciples' ultimate motive? It's to show people Jesus. They didn't do what they did because of how great they were. This was God working through them. Again, verse 1, He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Did you catch that? The power and authority came from Jesus. He gave them the power. He gave them the authority. Without that, they wouldn't have been able to do anything. And the same is true of us. We aren't able to do anything for his glory apart from what he enables us to do. Also, we see their service wasn't about them. It was about Jesus. Look at verses 7 through 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now when it says that Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening... This is very clearly and intentionally placed here to point back to what the disciples were doing. So right before that, we see that they're preaching the gospel and hearing, healing everywhere. And so Herod hears about this. He hears about what the disciples are doing. And he doesn't ask, now who are these disciples? He asks, who is this man? He's seeing what the disciples are doing and it immediately points him back to Jesus, not to them. They're not out there going, look at us, but rather what they're doing is making him ask about Jesus because everything that they're doing is somehow pointing to Jesus. Now, some of you have been wondering about the title pick and why I chose it. Let's talk about it. What constellation do you see? Big Dipper, right? Okay, how many of you could recognize the Big Dipper in the night sky? Point it out. Okay, now, how many of you could name one of the stars in the Big Dipper? 
Yeah, there's a lot fewer hands. Anyone, anyone want to take a stab? Anyone think they know one of the stars? Don't cheat. You guys are cheaters. They know because I've talked to them about this before. <laughs> yeah, nothing, right? Some people say, oh, isn't the North Star? Nope, not the North Star. It points to the North Star. It also points to a whole bunch of other things as well. It's a really cool constellation. I did a lot of studying about the Big Dipper this week. Anyone ever hear of Megrez or Dubi or Merak or Fecta or Mizar or Al-Qaeda? Some of you may have heard the term Alioth and wondered what the heck that was. These are the stars in the Big Dipper. I was up at Hume Lake a few years ago and just uh, spending time with God, and it was at night, and I look up and I see the Big Dipper, and I go, wow, man, that's cool. Up at Hume, like, there aren't as many lights around, and so you could see the stars really clearly, and it just popped. And as I'm staring at it, I'm like, I don't know the name of one of those stars. Not a single one. And then it hit me. Why are those stars up there shining? They aren't shining for their own glory. But rather, they're shining for the glory of the bigger picture. We don't look up at the night sky and, and say, Wow, Megrez looks great tonight. Or, look how bright Doobie is. No. But rather, we look up and say, Wow, look at the Big Dipper. So why do we proclaim the kingdom of God? Why do we serve Jesus? The disciples did it for God's glory, not theirs. They did it to show off Jesus. I don't serve for people to say, wow, that Ben Palm is really cool. Rather, I want people to see what I'm doing and respond by worshiping Jesus. By wanting more Jesus. By desiring to know Him, not me. That's why we do everything that we do at NBC. To show off Jesus. If people started praising the name of Ben, or Dave, or Andres, or Angel, or anybody else here, or they even start praising the name of Neighborhood Bible Church, then they're missing it. And we're possibly doing something wrong. We want people to leave praising the name of Jesus. So everything we do should be to show off Jesus. When people look at me, I want them to see Jesus. I don't want them to see me. And that's what each of us should desire. Those stars aren't up there for their own glory, but they're contributing to a bigger picture. So how can you show off Jesus? There are plenty of ways to serve, uh, both here at NBC and outside the church. But I wanted to highlight, too, that are in need of some extra people to jump in. The first opportunity is here at NBC, and it's our family ministry. The most visible part of family ministry is the classes that we have for kids every single Sunday. In fact, it used to be called children's ministry, but we changed it to family ministry because the heart behind the ministry is to help families grow closer to Jesus. Everything from the class structure, the materials, the curriculum, the fact that we expect all parents with kids in the ministry to be involved, it's all done to help families grow closer to Jesus. 
It's been a joy to watch moms and dads teach classes with their own kids and with other kids all together, learning the lesson together. Now, I know there's a few of you parents out here that I haven't talked to yet about getting you involved. Don't worry, I'll be emailing you this week. But there are plenty of others that don't have kids in the ministry, but see the amazing opportunity to share the gospel with receptive ears every single Sunday, and they serve faithfully. In our two English services alone, we have four classes each service with a teacher and a helper in each class. And we also have a family ministry host that welcomes people and helps them get checked in. That's 18 people each Sunday. If you're thinking that number seems higher, you haven't seen uh, all those spots filled, you'd be correct. Because we haven't been able to fill every spot every week. So this is a great opportunity to jump in and to show these kids Jesus. And yes, most of the opportunities are in the classroom, uh, but there are a few opportunities outside the classroom too. So if being with kids is not really your thing, there are other ways to get involved. Now, if 18 team members sounds like a big number, here's an even bigger number. Over the last six months, we've averaged 34 kids in our classes between our two English services, and we've averaged another six kids in our Sunday afternoon Spanish service. That's 40 people ready to hear the good news about Jesus every Sunday. People that you can pour into by being present and loving on them. So here's your next step. Send me an email. My email address is in your notes. It's also on our website. Just let me know you want to get involved and we'll get the conversation going. So that's one opportunity to jump in and to show off Jesus. The second ministry opportunity is outside of NBC, but it's working with a ministry that NBC deeply supports. It's called Love, Inc., which stands for Love in the Name of Christ. Love, Inc. simply connects people who have needs with Christians that are able to fill those needs. Rich Henderson, who attends NBC but wasn't able to be here this morning, uh, is the director of Love, Inc. for San Jose. And here's how Rich describes Love, Inc. Love in the name of Christ provides opportunities for Christians from local churches to use their skills and abilities to serve their neighbors in need. Needs are vetted by the Love, Inc. office to make sure that they are specific, legitimate, and manageable. Meeting the need provides the neighbor with a tangible demonstration of Jesus' love and opens the door for the Christian to build a redemptive relationship with them. Now, some of you may want to help others around, but you don't know how to find legitimate needs. And that's where Love, Inc. comes in. It matches people that have legitimate needs with Christians that are able to fill those needs. Then the people get both their physical and spiritual needs met. Now, over the past three years, more than 20 people from NBC have met 47 different needs in our community. Through the ministry of Love, Inc., people have attended NBC. Some have given their lives over to Jesus, have been baptized, and have become a part of this church family. All of that has happened because someone jumped in and filled a need. We'll hear more about Love, Inc. later this year. We're going to spend a whole Sunday focused on the ministry. But until then, here's your next step. Fill out a Love, Inc. talent survey. We're going to have some in the back of the church. Uh, once completed, mail or email the form to the Love, Inc. office, and instructions are on the form. 
So those are just two opportunities, two ways to jump in and to start doing, moving from a spectator to a contributor. Jesus gave his disciples power and authority, and then he sent them out. He tells them to go. I know that for some of you, the idea of jumping in to either of these opportunities may scare or intimidate you. Let me just say a few things. First of all, there is training, help, and resources available. You will not be thrown into the deep end without help. Second, there are plenty of people here that have served or are serving in these ministries that are ready to help you. And third, if you jump in with a willing heart, ready to make Jesus known, he will bless you. You will get to see God do amazing things. I've served in both of these ministries with hesitation at first, but every time I serve, I am blessed and blown away at what God is doing. We're going to sing a song right now that is a great reminder of what all of this is about. What the disciples were trying to accomplish. In the song it says, I will plan every step so in all that I do, Jesus None would see me, but see through me to you. Let me pray. God, that is our heartbeat. That, God, that what I do won't point to me. Because, God, I'm here for a short time. And then I'm done. Maybe 70, 80 years, maybe less, maybe more, I don't know, but not a lot. And then I'm gone and I'm forgotten. But God, as far as I'm concerned, that's okay. Because this life isn't about me, I'm not here to make my name great. And God, you've worked with me on that because for a lot of years, I really tried to. Once I was about me, but now I'm about you. I want to make your name great. So God, help us with that. Help us look for opportunities to point to you so that when people look at our actions, that people look at the things we do, the things we say, that we can use those as opportunities to introduce them to you. Because there is nothing in this life more valuable than a relationship with you. So God, let that be our heartbeat. In Jesus' name, amen.